Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Catholic Light. Thanks for joining me. I had the great pleasure this past week of bringing my children to Mass, and we were kind of clicking along. Everything was going pretty well. And um, lately, Sophia and Declan are really keen on holding Lucy during Mass and kind of bouncing her around. And <clears throat> they often ask now if they can carry her down to communion. Um, and I think it's like, you know, they feel like big bro, big sis carrying the baby sister. So Declan had asked if he could carry Lucy down to communion. I said yes. Um, and for whatever reason, the last couple of weeks, Peter's like extra extra clingy. <laughs> um, and so he wanted to hold my hand on the way to communion. So we go down to communion and we get to the front and Lucy starts crying. So I kind of ducked down. I said, Declan, I'm going to grab Lucy. So she's not crying, you know, while everyone's going to communion. And as I'm grabbing her, he's saying, no, mom, you said I could carry her. I said, well, you know, I'm just going to carry her for a little bit. So I, I pick up crying Lucy. Declan starts crying because he's no longer holding Lucy, which I had promised he could do. And then Peter, in the meantime, I've let go of his hand so I can pick up Lucy. He starts crying, Mom, you said you'd hold my hand. So I'm, I, I go to receive communion, and I have three, three out of four crying children. So everyone goes off at the same time. So I receive communion, and then I'm just like quickly, but kind of quietly, but low-key threateningly ushering them to the back of the church to get them outside so we're not super distracting. <laughs> so we get everybody calm. we go outside get everybody calm come back into our pew at the end of mass people are leaving like patting me on the shoulder saying like oh you know my heart was going out to you one guy said oh my gosh that was so funny I mean it probably wasn't funny for you but that was so funny so it was just a wonderful humbling moment uh and a great reminder that you know all things are are, are not perfect and often very imperfect as we we practice our faith and try to help others in this case, my children, come to the faith. It was almost as good as uh, the moment when uh, we were flying back from my brother's wedding. My brother, Matthew, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, got married in Denver back in December. And um, we're flying back from Denver. And maybe like 40 minutes into the flight, um, two out of four kids start throwing up and throw up multiple rounds throughout the however many hour flight. And at one point, Sophia th was asleep, started throwing up, like woke herself up throwing up as she's throwing up on Declan. And Declan's going like, ah, what is this? And then he starts throwing up. So after like the third round, Dan and I just look across the aisle at each other and start laughing. We're like, you cannot make this up. And so we landed, you know, by the grace and help of, of friends who had also were attending the wedding. One friend was a few rows behind us. She's like, I'll just take Lucy during this. I'll just hold the baby. Um, uh, as people were exiting the plane there, again, it, it was actually one of two reactions. Either people were patting us on the shoulder saying like, God bless you. You know, you had no control over that. You guys handled yourself so well. And then the other reaction was people just like, I straightforward. Uh, just like, uh, just like walking off the plane, like, get me off this plane. So thank you, Jesus, for, uh, for these, these wonderful humbling moments. And God bless many of, of our uh, Catholic Light podcast listeners, our, our fellow parishioners. Thank you to my fellow parishioners who are so gracious and so kind and encouraging um, when we bring our children to Mass. So I, I say, I joke, but it's not a joke. 
that people are much more kind and understanding to me uh, and my children than I was to, before having kids, other people and their children. I think I would, you know, if kids were kind of like making sounds or stuff, I was kind of like like grumbly. And now people are just so gracious um, and kind and supportive and encouraging. Like, you know, it's so good to hear those, those children, you know, making sounds during mass or, you know, they'll quote the, like, if there's no, in the church, if there's, there's no cry and the church is dying, like we're not raising up young people. So thank you to all of you who are, are so supportive and encouraging uh, of bringing the kids to mass and, and Lord forgive me for the times that I was grumbly and, and not uh, as encouraging, encouraging as people have been to me. So on uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about grace. And um, it's one of those, I think one of those words, terms, um, points of our faith where we, we say the word a lot, um, you know, by the grace of God, X, Y, and Z, or, um, you know, praying for the grace to persevere in this. Um, but sometimes when, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, when I stop and think like, what is grace? Like I have this kind of nebulous concept in my mind, but um, sometimes it's hard to articulate or pinpoint. So um, let's start with paragraph 1999. On the second half of today's episode, we'll read paragraphs 1987 through 2029. So we're in the 2000s, making our way. The uh, catechism goes up to, I think it's 2865. Let's double check here. We are we are just making our way through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Let's see, twenty eight, yeah, twenty eight sixty five. So we are in the two thousands. We're we're making our way here. Um, so we'll read nineteen eighty seven through twenty twenty nine, and paragraph nineteen ninety nine. I think is is a beautiful paragraph here, talking about the grace of Christ. It says, "The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift." that God makes to us of his own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. So the grace of Christ, it's a gratuitous gift. It is unearned. We don't do anything to merit the grace of God, uh, the grace of Jesus Christ, and it makes us makes to us of his own life. So grace infuses in us, uh, fills us up with, the very life of God and uh, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. So um, recall that that sin, it wounds, it hurts, it often destroys our relationship with God, with others, even with ourself. And so grace enters in to heal the wounds, the brokenness, the damage of sin, which is a really beautiful concept to think about. Grace heals. And sanctifies so it um it makes us into saints okay kind of um when I picture grace working so uh, when I used to teach grace to my students I would often use the image of for whatever reason I picture it to be like kind of gold glitter following uh excuse me falling from heaven or this like kind of radiant powerful light just like like filling us up from within and and almost like oozing or, or radiating um, out of us. Um, my husband, Dan, has this this great idea where he wants to write a children's book and equate grace to uh, like a superpower. So it's it's something that when 
as we grow in virtue or strive for virtue, when we pray, when we go to the sacraments, um, it's almost like that that little battery level is filled up or the the child is is filled up, uh, juiced up like a, a superhero ready to go out and, you know, conquer the world. And, and when we sin, then kind of the little battery level goes down. Um, so if you beat Dan to the punch and write this children's book, give him credit. Uh, Dan is is a, a very creative idea man. He has, he's had lots of great ideas. And I, when he raises, you know, or, or says some of these ideas, I'm like, ooh, maybe that's our retirement. Like, let's do that one. So when we when we first got together, um, he had this idea for jingle tiles, which I think I'm a big fan of, of Dan's invention ideas, where he said he noticed that whenever he was in an airport dragging his suitcase along, the wheels on the suitcase as they went over each tile on the floor of the airport were kind of like click, click, clack, click, click, clack. And so he thought, what if we made, and forgive me, Dan, if I'm not saying this exactly correctly, but what if he, he made or created, um, like on a record, like different different lines or different veins where, you know, you could choose like the Billy Joel lane. And as you drag your suitcase along, you know, it, 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 it plays as the wheels click along, the wheels of your suitcase click along on the tiles, it plays like Piano Man. Or you could pick the, um, I don't know, who, who else is popular? <laughs> pick another artist and, you know, pick that lane uh, down the hallway of the airport and your your wheels would click along and play a different different tune. So again, if, if you create and market jingle tiles, please give Dan Doherty credit. So we can use these different images um, and analogies to, to try to understand grace. Um, we could also look to the back of the catechism, the glossary section, where grace is defined as the following. Grace is the free and undeserved gift. So that's very similar to what we just read in 1999. The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life. So back of the catechism, if you're looking at a physical catechism, look up grace alphabetically in the glossary. The free and undeserved gift that God gives us to respond to our vocation to become his adopted children. So again, there's that that undeserved, unmerited gift that God gives us, fills us up to live this life that God himself is living. We can respond to our vocation, become the men and women we were created to be, and experience that happiness, um, that fulfillment for which he created us. Paragraphs 2000 through 2004, and actually if we continued in that glossary definition, um, also goes on to define a little more specifically some of the different types of grace. So paragraph 2000 says, Sanctifying grace is an habitual gift, a stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God to act by his love. Habitual grace is the permanent disposition to live and act in keeping with God's call. This is distinguished from actual graces, which refer to God's interventions, whether at the beginning of conversion or in the course of the work of sanctification. So habitual grace is that permanent disposition, that ongoing grace that, you know, kind of just keeps us going, keeps us going, living the life of God, living um, in a way that's responsive to the movements of the Holy Spirit, uh, responsive to the, the calls that God places in our lives. Whereas actual graces are these specific graces that come at different points in our life, um, kind of like like extra pumps um, to like oof, get us over a hurdle or like do that thing or say no to that thing or step into a certain role. 
uh, paragraph 2003 then goes on to define a couple more specific types of grace. So it says there are sacramental graces, proper gifts proper to the different sacraments. There are furthermore special graces, also called charisms, the Greek term used by St. Paul and meaning favor, gratuitous gift, benefit. Whatever their character, sometimes it is extraordinary, such as the gift of miracles or of tongues. Charisms are oriented toward sanctifying grace and are intended for the common good of the church. They are at the service of charity, which builds up the church. So sacramental graces specific to each of the seven sacraments, and then special graces or charisms um, are given to individuals to build up the, for, for the individual, but also for the community. So, um, you know, gifts of ministry, gifts of teaching, uh, gifts of, as the catechism just mentioned, you know, the, the gift of tongues or the gift of miracles. Um, you know, certain individuals have been given the gift of healing, let's say, uh, not just for themselves, but to build up the church. Paragraph 2004 then uh, talks about among the special graces ought to be mentioned are the graces of state that accompany the exercise of the responsibilities of the Christian life and of the ministries within the church. So certain gifts are given to, um, you know, specific um states of life. So those of the episcopacy, so bishops are given, you know, special graces to carry out their ministry, um, for example. Well, it's cool to and interesting to understand the specific different types of grace. I like to think of St. Therese's, one of her many famous quotes where she simply said, everything is grace, everything is gift, gratuitous, unmerited, heaped in our laps uh, by God because he loves us. We did not earn it. We did not merit it. Um, but simply because he loves us and wants us to experience the life that he lives, uh, he, he bestows it upon us. He gives it to us. So it comes from him. This grace comes from God. It orients us to God. And it does everything, helps us do everything in between. And if you're ever wondering about the love of God, the gratuitous gifts of God, uh, just think on this. We've talked about this before in previous episodes, but I just continue to marvel that God who is outside of time and space, who knew once he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, they would in you know the blink of an eye, turn from him. Um, God, who is outside of time and space, knew then that after we rejected him, uh, he would send his only begotten son, the second person of the Trinity, would step into our human timeline to save us from that sin. And then for millennia, people would go on, each of us would go on to turn from him again and again after the the initial gift of our creation and then the added gift of redemption we would still turn from him and he would come to us again through the sacrament of confession through the help of others um, through grace upon grace upon grace to draw us back to him so God never tires of pouring out that grace of giving us opportunity after opportunity to come back to him, turn back to him, and to be filled with his own divine life um, so as to to live our humanity well and experience, the again, the happiness and fulfillment for which we were created. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Sometimes I think of, of him um, in terms of, uh, because I was a teacher, in terms of like a student-teacher relationship where every once in a while I'd have those students who were just, just really struggling and, you know, um, 
um, helping them study after school. I'm giving them extra homework assignments. I'm offering extra credit. I get to the point where I'm like, you, I just, I'm not sure what's going on, but how about you just blink twice and I will give you some credit here because I want you to get this and I want you to pass and I want you to succeed. Um, so sometimes I think God's like that with us, like just, um, you know, just breathe and I will draw you closer to be like, let's go, let's go, come on. Paragraph 2007 says, with regard to God, there is no strict right to any merit on the part of man. Between God and us, there is an immeasurable inequality, for we've received everything from him, our creator. So I did absolutely nothing to get myself born. It's my, my life is a pure gift. And um, God just continues to give each of us gift upon gift. And so if we can have dispositions of gratitude, uh, we, we can continue to receive those gifts and receive them well and experience the, the joy that, that he longs for each of us to have. However, this is not, um, our lives are not one of complete passivity. So 2008, paragraph 2008 goes on to say, the merit of man before God in the Christian life arises from the fact that God has freely chosen to associate man with the work of his grace. So God has chosen to involve each of us in the work of grace. We're not just passive, like the the grace is just like, ah, washing over us, filling us up, and that's it. We need to respond. And then um, by the grace of God, so to receive that grace, it's by the grace of God, we can activate that grace, use it well, and be open to receive more grace, to participate in our own and in our own sanctification and salvation and in the sanctification and salvation of the lives of others. Sometimes we might feel and see really clearly the grace at work, um, but sometimes we don't, and that's okay. During my sophomore year at Steubenville, um, I was studying abroad in Austria. Steubenville has a, a campus in in Gaming, Austria, a couple hours outside of Vienna, and lots of... Um, Lots of different people, priests, religious, lay people um, would kind of come and go f- visit this campus throughout their European travels. And there was this one priest who um, was visiting, just happened to sit down with some of my girlfriends and, and me during breakfast one day. And he said, you know, sometimes, um, he said, throughout our lives, Christ le- leads us through the garden. And sometimes we're walking hand in hand. We feel him there. We see him there. We know he's with us. And then sometimes it's as though, like, he hides himself in the darkness of, of the garden. We can't see him. We can't feel him. We're, we're kind of wandering around but feels like blindly um, but he's still with us he's there and in those moment of moments of darkness those moments of of not necessarily feeling his presence um, he's at work and sometimes at work more more powerfully and um, so I love how par- paragraph 2005 says since it belongs to the supernatural order grace escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith we cannot, therefore, rely on our feelings or our works to conclude that we are justified and saved. So uh, oftentimes in our world, there's this big emphasis on, on feeling and um, emotion. And um, the Catechism reminds us that uh, because grace is of the supernatural order, so it's, it's uh, working at a, a higher level, it's drawing us up to something greater, we don't always feel it. And so, um, again, sometimes at the 
the darkest, driest moments of our life, grace is most powerfully at work. So, so if you're going through a difficult moment or um, a stage of, of dryness and not feeling anything or feeling much in your relationship with God, uh, take heart that, that Christ is with you. He's at work in and through you. And so persevere, um, persevere in your, your daily commitments of prayer and uh, going to the sacraments and allow that grace to continue to, to fill you up and, and flood your life and through your life, the lives of others. Um, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of like flood and water imagery right now because we just got 15 arborvitae, uh, these trees uh, planted along our one property line. And um, because it's so hot, uh, the the landscaper advised us to, you know, if it doesn't rain or doesn't rain for a couple of days, go out and water it. Um, so I've been doing a lot of watering and um, bribing. Would bribing be the right word? Bribing the kids to uh, to water the trees as well. And um, we've watered so much that it t- some of the leaves are turning brown. And I was thinking like, oh, my gosh, we need to water more. Well, the landscaper came back to do a little more work on another part of our yard. <laughs> he goes, uh, you're watering those things too much. You need to, need to lay off a little bit. Um, so to, to equate this or use this analogy for the life of grace, um, you know, sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's boring, it's mundane, it's tedious, you know, when there are all these other things to do throughout the day to go out and, and stand in front of tree, one tree, you know, and hold the hose one, two, three, I tell the kids two minutes per tree. So they count to 120 and then to take like two steps to the right. Okay. Water the next tree. Okay, two steps to the right. Water the next tree. One, two, three. Um, it's not always glamorous. It's uh, again often quite tedious, but um, it's effective. Actually, it was it was too effective, and so we need to. <laughs> the Dacrides need to draw back on the the arborvitae water, watering. Um, so so again, trust that if you're in a, a time of of tedium of like okay, I'm I'm praying each day and I'm just not feeling a whole lot, or you know I'm going to daily mass and like I don't necessarily see God at work in my life. Um, be encouraged that when we pray and link our hearts and souls to the Author of life and love and goodness and truth and beauty and grace. Our souls are affected. Our souls are filled. When we go to the sacraments, uh, especially confession and the Eucharist, we are healed. We are forgiven. When we receive the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, we are literally filled with God himself. And something great is at work. So persevere. Fight the good fight. Keep going. You're doing great. Uh, we'll end on uh, end with this last paragraph, paragraph 2014, which says, God calls us all to this intimate union with him, even if the special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. So special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some. So sometimes, um, you know, we, we might look around and think like, wow, like, you know, Bishop Robert Barron and his Word on Fire ministry, or Father Mike Schmitz and the, you know, the Bible in a Year uh, podcast, um, or lately I've been following uh, Lila Rose, who, if you're not familiar with her, just Google Lila Rose live action. She's a, a young woman from a young age. Um, she really has has fought the good fight of the pro-life cause. She now famously uh, went undercover into a number of Planned Parenthoods and, um, you know, exposed uh, the 
illegality um, at, you know, at a minimum, but at a maximum, just some of the horrific things that they were doing in their clinics. And, um, you know, it's just just a real big player in the pro-life movement. So sometimes we might look around and think like, whoa, these larger-than-life personalities who are literally in the spotlight doing these great things. Like, God, what are you doing in my life? Like, what will you do with, you know, the what will you help me do with the graces that you've given me? And the catechism reminds us here that that this gratuitous gift is given to all. It's manifested. Um, it's manifested to all. We we see it in the lives of some of these these big players, these big personalities or public personalities, and that should be a reminder to us that what what God is doing in and through the lives of Bishop Robert Barron. Father Mike Schmitz, Lila Rose, uh, he's doing in each and every one of our lives as well. We might not see those fruits, the side of heaven, or we might not see them in working in the same way, but but God is doing, wants to do uh, just as much in and through each and every one of us. On a side note about Lila Rose, uh, years ago, she came to Villanova University, which is close to where I live and so a couple of girlfriends and I went to hear her speak and afterwards you know we came up to her to introduce ourselves and say like thanks for your great talk and thanks for the incredible work you're doing and as we were chatting we said um you know we're we're going out for a drink later if you want to join us and she very like humbly and, and simply said you know I'm only 20 so I actually can't drink at the bar yet <laughs> we were just like oh my gosh the work this young woman had done by age 20 like she couldn't even drink yet and she had taken or drink legally at a bar. Um, she had taken down like a number of Planned Parenthoods with her work. So God bless her and uh, her ministry and the ministries of of all these public figures. We should really pray for them. Um, I think especially the priests. But growing up, my mom and dad would always say priests have a target on their back because they um, uh, they they just bring so many. If the only thing they did was bring the sacraments to people, you know that is is infinitely awesome. Um, but again, with some of these very big public ministries who are bringing so many people to, to Christ, um, you know, the devil wants to take them down. And so we should pray, pray especially for them. So maybe let's end the first half of this episode on that note. Uh, we pray, come Lord Jesus and uh, fill each and every one of us with all the graces you wish to give us. Please help us to be open and receptive to them. Please help us to respond well, to use them well, and allow you to continue to work in us and through us and in and through our lives and the lives of others. We pray for... Um, our brothers and sisters who are doing these these great big ministries that you will continue to protect and guide them, um, continue to work in and through them, and and bring us all closer to you, closer to you who are truth and beauty and goodness, and the giver of all good gifts, the giver of all graces. May your will be done in us and through us from now until forever. Amen. All right, we'll take a brief break. Return on the second half of the episode to read our catechism selection for the day. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1987 through 2029. 
Article 2, Grace and Justification. Justification. The grace of the Holy Spirit has the power to justify us, that is, to cleanse us from our sins and to communicate to us the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ and through baptism. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we take part in Christ's passion by dying to sin and in his resurrection by being born to a new life. We are members of his body, which is the church, branches grafted onto the vine, which is himself. God gave himself to us through his spirit. By the participation of the spirit, we become communicants in the divine nature. For this reason, those in whom the spirit dwells are divinized. The first work of the grace of the Holy Spirit is conversion, affecting justification in accordance with Jesus' proclamation at the beginning of the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Moved by grace, man turns toward God and away from sin, thus accepting forgiveness and righteousness from on high. Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the interior man. Justification detaches man from sin, which contradicts the love of God and purifies his heart of sin. Justification follows upon God's merciful initiative of offering forgiveness. It reconciles man with God. It frees from the enslavement to sin, and it heals. Justification is at the same time the acceptance of God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Righteousness, or justice, here means the rectitude of divine love. With justification, faith, hope, and charity are poured into our hearts, and obedience to the divine will is granted us. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ, who offered himself on the cross as a living victim, holy and pleasing to God, and whose blood has become the instrument of atonement for the sins of all men. Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God, who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Its purpose is the glory of God and of Christ, and the gift of eternal life. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as an expiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies him who has faith in Jesus. Justification establishes cooperation between God's grace and man's freedom. On man's part, it is exp- It is expressed by the assent of faith to the word of God, which invites him to conversion, and in the cooperation of charity with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, who proceeds and preserves his assent. When God touches man's heart through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, man himself is not inactive while receiving that inspiration, since he could reject it. And yet, without God's grace, he cannot by his own free will move himself toward justice in God's sight. That is from the Council of Trent. Justification is the most excellent work of God's love, made manifest in Christ Jesus and granted by the Holy Spirit. It is the opinion of St. Augustine that the justification of the wicked is a greater work than the creation of heaven and earth. 
because heaven and earth will pass away, but the salvation and justification of the elect will not pass away. He holds also that the justification of sinners surpasses the creation of the angels in justice, in that it bears witness to a greater mercy. The Holy Spirit is the master of the interior life. By giving birth to the inner man, justification entails the sanctification of his whole being. Just as you once yielded your members to impurity and to greater and greater iniquity, so now yield your members to righteousness for sanctification. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the return you get is sanctification and its end eternal life. Grace. Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life. Grace is a participation in the life of God. It introduces us into the intimacy of Trinitarian life. By baptism, the Christian participates in the grace of Christ, the head of his body. As an adopted son, he can henceforth call God Father in union with the only Son. He receives the life of the Spirit who breathes charity into him and who forms the church. This vocation to eternal life is supernatural. It depends entirely on God's gratuitous initiative, for he alone can reveal and give himself. It surpasses the power of human intellect and will as that of every other creature. The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of his own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. It is the sanctifying or deifying grace received in baptism. It is in us the source of the work of sanctification. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Sanctifying grace is an habitual gift, a stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God, to act by his love. Habitual grace, the permanent disposition to live and act in keeping with God's call, is distinguished from actual graces, which refer to God's interventions, whether at the beginning of conversion or in the course of the work of sanctification. The preparation of man for the reception of grace is already a work of grace. This latter is needed to arouse and sustain our collaboration in justification through faith and in sanctification through charity. God brings to completion in us what he has begun. Since he who completes his work by cooperating with our will began by working so that we might will it. Indeed, we also work, but we are only collaborating with God who works, for his mercy has gone before us. It has gone before us so that we may be healed, and follows us so that once healed we may be given life. It goes before us so that we may be called, and follows us so that we may be glorified. It goes before us so that we may live devoutly and follows us so that we may always live with God, for without him we can do nothing. That's St. Augustine. God's free initiative demands man's free response, for God has created man in his image by conferring on him, along with freedom, the power to know him and love him. The soul only enters freely into the communion of love. God immediately touches and directly moves the heart of man. He has placed in man a longing for truth and goodness that only he can satisfy. The promises of eternal life respond beyond all hope to this desire. If at the end of your very good works you rested on the seventh day, it was to foretell by the voice of your book that at the end of your works, which are indeed very good since you have given them to us, we shall also rest in you on the Sabbath of eternal life. 
That's also St. Augustine. Grace is first and foremost the gift of the Spirit who justifies and sanctifies us. But grace also includes the gifts that the Spirit grants us to associate us with his work, to enable us to collaborate in the salvation of others and in the growth of the body of Christ, the Church. There are sacramental graces, gifts proper to the different sacraments. There are furthermore special graces, also called charisms, after the Greek term used by St. Paul and meaning favor, gratuitous gift, benefit. Whatever their character, sometimes it is extraordinary, such as the gift of miracles or of tongues. Charisms are oriented towards sanctifying grace and are intended for the common good of the church. They are at the service of charity, which builds up the church. Among the special graces ought to be mentioned the graces of state that accompany the exercise of the responsibilities of the Christian life and of the ministries within the church. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Since it belongs to the supernatural order, grace escapes our experience and cannot be known except by faith. We cannot, therefore, rely on our feelings or our works to conclude that we are justified and saved. However, according to the Lord's words, thus you will know them by their fruits, reflection on God's blessings in our life and in the lives of the saints offers us a guarantee that grace is at work in us and spurs us on to an ever greater faith and an attitude of trustful poverty. A pleasing illustration of this attitude is found in the reply of St. Joan of Arc to a question posed as a trap by her ecclesiastical judges. Asked if she knew that she was in God's grace, she replied, If I am not, may it please God to put me in it. If I am, may it please God to keep me there. Merit. You are glorified in the assembly of your holy ones, for in crowning their merits, you are crowning your own gifts. The term merit refers in general to the recompense owed by a community or a society for the action of one of its members, experienced either as beneficial or harmful, deserving reward or punishment. Merit is relative to the virtue of justice in conformity with the principle of equality which governs it. With regard to God, there is no strict right to any merit on the part of man. Between God and us, there is an immeasurable inequality, for we have received everything from him, our creator. The merit of man before God in the Christian life arises from the fact that God has freely chosen to associate man with the work of his grace. The fatherly action of God is first on his own initiative and then follows man's free acting through his collaboration, so that the merit of good works is to be attributed in the first place to the grace of God, then to the faithful. Man's merit, moreover, itself is due to God, for his good actions proceed in Christ from the predispositions and assistance given by the Holy Spirit. Filial adoption in making us partakers by grace in the divine nature can bestow true merit on us as a result of God's gratuitous justice. This is our right by grace, the full right of love, making us co-heirs with Christ and worthy of obtaining the promised inheritance of eternal life. The merits of our good works are gifts of the divine goodness. Grace has gone before us. Now we are given what is due. Our merits are God's gifts. Since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. 
moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. Even temporal goods like health and friendship can be merited in accordance with God's wisdom. These graces and goods are the object of Christian prayer. Prayer attends to the grace we need for meritorious actions. The charity of Christ is the source in us of all our merits before God. Grace, by uniting us to Christ in active love, ensures the supernatural quality of our acts and consequently their merit before God and before men. The saints have always had a lively awareness that their merits were pure grace. After earth's exile, I hope to go and enjoy you in the fatherland, but I do not want to lay up merits for heaven. I want to work for your love alone. In the evening of this life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I do not ask you, Lord, to count my works. All our justice is blemished in your eyes. I wish then to be clothed in your own justice and to receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. That's St. Therese of Lisieux. We know that in everything God works for good with those who love him. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All Christians in any state or walk of life are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. All are called to holiness. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In order to reach this perfection, the faithful should use the strength dealt out to them by Christ's gift, so that doing the will of the Father in everything, they may wholeheartedly devote themselves to the glory of God and to the service of their neighbor. Thus the holiness of the people of God will grow in fruitful abundance, as is clearly shown in the history of the church through the lives of so many saints. Spiritual progress tends toward ever more intimate union with Christ. This union is called mystical because it participates in the mystery of Christ through the sacraments, the holy mysteries, and in him in the mystery of the Holy Trinity. God calls us all to this intimate union with him, even if the special graces or extraordinary signs of this mystical life are granted only to some for the sake of manifesting the gratuitous gift given to all. The way of perfection passes by way of the cross. There is no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. Spiritual progress entails the ascesis and mortification that gradually leads to living in the peace and joy of the Beatitudes. He who climbs never stops going from beginning to beginning, through beginnings that have no end. He never stops desiring what he already knows. That's St. Gregory of Nyssa. The children of our Holy Mother, the Church, rightly hope for the grace of final perseverance and the recompense of God their Father for the good works accomplished with His grace in communion with Jesus. Keeping the same rule of life, believers share the blessed hope of those whom the Divine Mercy gathers into the Holy City, the New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. In brief, the grace of the Holy Spirit confers upon us the righteousness of God, Uniting us by faith and baptism to the passion and resurrection of Christ, the Spirit makes us sharers in his life. Like conversion, justification has two aspects. Moved by grace, man turns toward God and away from sin, and so accepts forgiveness and righteousness from on high. Justification includes the remission of sins, sanctification, and the renewal of the inner man. Justification has been merited for us by the passion of Christ. It is granted us through baptism. 
It conforms us to the righteousness of God who justifies us. It has for its goal the glory of God and of Christ and the gift of eternal life. It is the most excellent work of God's mercy. Grace is the help God gives us to respond to our vocation of becoming his adopted sons. It introduces us into the intimacy of the Trinitarian life. The divine initiative in the work of grace precedes, prepares, and elicits the free response of man. Grace responds to the deepest yearnings of human freedom, calls freedom to cooperate with it, and perfects freedom. Sanctifying grace is the gratuitous gift of his life that God makes to us. It is infused by the Holy Spirit into the soul to heal it of sin and to sanctify it. Sanctifying grace makes us pleasing to God. Charisms, special graces of the Holy Spirit, are oriented to sanctifying grace and are intended for the common good of the church. God also acts through many actual graces to be distinguished from habitual grace, which is permanent in us. We can have merit in God's sight only because of God's free plan to associate man with the work of his grace. Merit is to be ascribed in the first place to the grace of God and secondly to man's collaboration. Man's merit is due to God. The grace of the Holy Spirit can confer true merit on us by virtue of our adoptive filiation and in accordance with God's gratuitous justice. Charity is the principal source of merit in us before God. No one can merit the initial grace which is at the origin of conversion. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for others all the graces needed to attain eternal life, as well as necessary temporal goods. All Christians are called to the fullness of Christian life and to the perfection of charity. Christian perfection has but one limit, that of having none. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This brings us to the end of our reading selection, the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. Between this week and next week's episode, uh, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. And in the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.